All right, welcome into the Lemon Pepper Parlay podcast. Yes, the NBA edition slash soon-to-be college basketball edition as well. Rob Parker, the veteran scribe and the young whippersnapper. Yes, Mr. Martin Weiss. Martin, what's happening? How are you? I'll tell you what. I, I, I'm sick. I'm still sick. I'm still sick from Tuesday night when Damian Lillard did not take logo Lillard turned into foot-on-the-line Lillard and won – a one-point win, which should have been amazing. An amazing comeback to watch, Rob. Down 17 with five minutes left. I'm stewing in my living room. Sick, couldn't sleep because Damian Lillard shot a two instead of a three, and the Blazers won by one. It was an amazing comeback. But that's why gambling is the worst and the best thing of all time because had they won that game, I would have been on cloud nine. You couldn't have told me anything different. That's how it goes. That's why they call it gambling. You ever see those buildings in Las Vegas? They're, they're that way for a reason, right? Okay. And I did mention college basketball. March Madness and whatnot is uh, fully ahead of us, coming up very quickly. So today we're going to bring in our guest, Deshaun Tate, who is a real college basketball insider. Tate's Take. He has a podcast. This guy, you know Martin um, from East Lansing. Uh, Michigan State ties. He loves that school and Tom Izzo. Uh, but he, he's going to help us talk about college basketball and uh, March Madness. All right. When I think of college basketball, I think of Deshaun Tate down in Atlanta, Georgia, man. I saw he eats, drinks, and sleeps. And this is his uh, best time of the year. Deshaun, welcome to the Lemon Pepper Parlay podcast. NBA slash college edition. What's happening? Man, I was saying and uh, looking forward to this for a minute, man. On top of that, looking forward, forward to March Madness as well. Best part about I like uh, that I love about this thing, man. Listen, we seen Selection Sunday just the other day. That's the closest thing that a lot of these guys are going to get to even coming remotely close to hearing their names called in a draft type of style. I love it for them. You got 12, 12 versus five upset matchups. You got you know, all kind of upsets, buzzer beaters, the whole nine. I'm ear to ear, man. I'm excited. All right. Let me let me start first by saying, what about some of the blue bloods not being there? How much of it does, does that take away from March Madness? No Duke, no Kentucky. The first time that's happened since 1976. And we've seen we've seen sports ratings down big time across the board. Super Bowl, World Series, NBA Finals was the worst ever. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Without those two schools, there's a chance that this could be the worst-rated college basketball uh, March Madness tournament? I don't know about the worst ever, Rob, but I will say this much. You got some Carolina. You got some Kansas. We'll see what UCLA does within the next 24 hours against Michigan State. One of those two are pretty much a shoe-in, at least to get in to get that far. But believe it or not, check this out. Here's a a a little tidbit for you. The last time that Duke and Kentucky neither made it to the NCAA tournament in the same season, 1976, Indiana went on unbeaten to win the national championship. Obviously, Duke and Kentucky not in this year. Gonzaga's unbeaten. We'll see. But uh, I will say this much. There's going to be a lot of people who not necessarily who, who actually love the, the fact that Duke and Kentucky's not in it just because there's some of the most hated programs that you can find around the country. But in the same token, those ratings are usually pretty high because there's so many people. It's like Floyd Mayweather. Everybody wants to see the guy lose, so everybody t- taps in. It's very similar with Duke and Kentucky. 
Personally, I don't give a damn. I want the best 65 teams in the tournament. And Duke and Kentucky weren't in that group. So, um, like, I, I really – I'm not really too concerned about the fact that those guys aren't in there because, I mean, when you get to the Elite Eight, aren't we always talking about, like, the George Masons or the Sister Jeans and Loyola Chicago's of the world anyway? Isn't that what dominates the coverage? So that's my question for you is which one of these double-digit seeds am I going to ride all the way to the Elite Eight and look like a genius when I'm betting them every time they hit the court? Elite Eight, I don't think that there's going to be one. However, I do feel like there's one within the Sweet 16. That team is the University of Ohio, the Bobcats. Now, I'm not saying this guy is as good as Steph Curry, and I'm not saying that this team is as good as that Davidson team that did go to the Elite Eight. However, if you haven't heard of this guy, his name is Jason Preston. He can, he's definitely the type of player that can maybe poised enough to get his team to go that far. In fact, the last time that a 13 seed, that's a 13 versus a four, Virginia's not going to make the NCAA tournament up until they get there in Indianapolis on Friday, let alone having an opportunity to even practice. So with that being said, the last team to do it as a, as a 13 seed, was the Ohio Bobcats a few years ago. I think that they're going to repeat and do him, make history the same way. You, you brought up Gonzaga. We know they're undefeated, a chance of uh, trying to be undefeated and win a championship. They're heavy favorites. Everybody's talking about them. How good are they and what's the chances? Sometimes people believe it's always good to lose ahead of time. Didn't we see a Kentucky team going to the tournament trying to be undefeated and they wind up losing? Is it better sometimes just to get a loss out of the way rather than hoping to be perfect? Yeah, that's 38 in a bagel that Kentucky team was. And I'm a little surprised you even asked me a question like that, saying is it better to get an L under your belt? I don't think so. I never had a loser's type of mentality. And if you've got Win, that kind of mentality. Winning is always you, better, right? So I tell them, winning, winning is always is, better than losing. Not, not when you're losing the NCAA championship game after trying to go undefeated. Ask the, ask the New England Patriots when they were 18 and 0 and they lost to Eli Manning and the Giants. It's happened before. That's all I'm saying sometimes. No, I understand that. I just don't think that it would make or break or make any kind of a difference or better their chances of winning if they had a, a loss up under their belt. I think the bigger question is what is some of the reasons of concern or weaknesses for this team where all you're hearing about with Gonzaga is positive things. And I do understand they beefed up the non-conference quite a bit, which is something that they needed to do. When you talk about the two seed, three seed, and four seed within their region of this bracket, the two being Iowa, the three being Kansas, the four being uh, Virginia, they've played all of those teams earlier this year and beat all of those guys like a Bob Ross paintbrush. So when you're talking <laughs> about this Gonzaga team, I really am one that does believe. I really do believe that when you talk about some of their weaknesses, they tend to turn a ball over a little bit too much. Everybody loves Jalen Suggs, call him the X factor and believes that he is the player that makes the difference for them. But he's never been in a one and done scenario or situation like March Madness. And let me just throw this one last thing out there to you, though, Rob. Here's my thing when it comes to Gonzaga, why I believe you typically see them lose. They needed to beef up that non-conference schedule quite a bit, and they have done that particularly this year. A couple of years ago, they played Zion and those guys in the Maui Invitational, so they have beefed it up quite a bit. It's not just West Coast Conference teams that they're playing. The problem with that is that they instantly go from playing tough non-conference opponents to instantly going into the West Coast Conference in a regular year. You're talking about 18 games. Then they start to let up a little bit and get adjusted to playing West Coast Conference competition. Now you take them from there 
to instantly having to readjust to non-conference competition all over again, where it's one and done. That's one of the reasons why I believe that you see them not really that successful in March. If you're not going to be in the Pac-12, fine. You got to at least be able to go Mountain West, get some of those Boise states and New Mexico, San Diego states in there. Now, I got a question for you, a team that competed all year in the best basketball conference and was the best team in the state, the University of Michigan Wolverine. <laughs> I know you're a Spartan guy. So you can see the Spartan basketball right behind you. You see that, Rob? He's supposed to be a reporter, right? Where's the objectivity? I mean, I already know. Me and him have had many battles about Tom Izzo. I told everybody Tom Izzo wouldn't win another national championship. It's 21 years and counting the last one I said that. So go ahead, Martin. Well, this is about his time, right? January, February, Izzo, then April when they actually win the championships, right? But anyway, I'm done. I wanna, I'm done picking on Michigan State um, <clears throat> because with my luck, they'll make an incredible run and be in the Final Four because that's what always not happens to me. Not this time. No. But what I really want to know, one of the other number one seeds, Michigan, they missed a little bit of the year with the COVID issues. But outside of that, I, I have them, if not the best team in the Big Ten, right there under Illinois. Like where, where uh, with the loss of Isaiah Livers, is this team even still a threat to make noise? Yeah, when you're back-to-back-to-back conference champions, I think you can afford, you can't win it every year. But I will say enough when we're talking about Michigan to say that uh, I think that it depends on when he's going to be able to come back. I don't think he's going to be available for the first game, but it's still yet to be determined if he's going to be able to come back for the second game, maybe even for the Sweet 16, where they could ideally uh, be looking at Florida State right in the face, who has been knocking on the door for over the course of the last five years or so uh of maybe making a run to the final four but never get to the point where they can kick the door down a few times in that run i know they have they have quite a few times actually that's a good point martin but i will say this much a guy like shondi brown uh transfer from wake forest is experienced but he's gonna have to be one that's gonna have to step up to try uh, to try to fill in some of the void left behind uh with some contribution uh, the, the, the question that I have for a team like this, they've got a few players that are key on this team that don't have that March Madness experience. Shondi Brown, Wake Forest, uh, same thing with as good of a job. <laughs> I can't tell you enough about how good of a job uh, uh, that, uh, that, that Mike has done as a point guard for this team, Mike Smith, who's also a transfer from the Ivy League at Columbia, but he doesn't have that experience in March Madness either. Neither one of those guys are the best player. That would be Hunter Dickinson in the middle, who's a freshman, who also doesn't have the experience. So uh, I, I will say that Jawan Howard has done as good of a job as anybody in the country, unarguably, you know, head coach of the year nationally. The job that he has done, I, I think, is phenomenal. On my particular bracket, I got them in the Sweet 16 and then losing to Florida State. But, of course, a lot of that can definitely change in the event that they meet up with Florida State. If Florida State's not not there, I'm going to continue rolling the Wolverines all the way to the Elite Eight and see where they go from there. All right, DeShante, last thing. Uh, give us a player. we got about a minute to go. Give us a player we should be looking out for in the tournament. Who should we keep our eye on, somebody maybe we don't know? Okay, well, I just gave you Jason Preston. That's one from the University of Ohio. Everybody's going to talk about uh, Ayo DeSumo with this Illinois team, and certainly everybody's going to talk about Kofi Coburn, too, uh, even though I'm not in love with the way his last name is spelled. But uh, Andre (laughs) Curbelo. I want to give you Andre Curbelo, who essentially is a huge piece of this team that does make this not just start the car, but also make it drive. 
I'm going to give you one more. Let me see if I can give you a good solid one. Ah, here we go right here. Could be a really tough round uh, in the tough matchup in the second round for uh, for Baylor, perhaps. North Carolina, an eight seed, if they can get past Wisconsin, a large part of it is going to be because of Dayron Sharp, who is a freshman, a man, always physical, always aggressive. If this team starts out kind of playing a little bit soft, forcing Roy Williams to call a timeout, yanking guys up by the uniform, cussing them out, chewing them out, telling them that they're playing too soft, go back out there and get aggressive. He's not going to be talking to Dayron Sharp. He's going to be talking to everybody everybody else. else. Yeah, yeah, he's talking to everybody else. He's not going to be Dayron Sharp. He's going to be a guy that, if he's not already, putting himself in position to hear his name called in the lottery of June's NBA draft. All right. His name is Sean Tate from Atlanta, Georgia, right there. Tate's Take. See him on social media. Check out his podcast. And we appreciate you joining this podcast, my man. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys for having me and uh, giving me an opportunity to share the, uh, the the floor, the platform, and just all the space you give me. I appreciate it. All right. No doubt. Deshaun, thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. You got it. Appreciate uh, you, sir. March Madness is here. And I know you fill out a bracket. I fill out a bracket. Your grandmother fills out a bracket. Everybody fills out a bracket. So everybody knows there's always one team that ruins it. That's why this year I'm betting the tournament on FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook. Because on FanDuel, your first bet is risk-free. It doesn't matter if you're betting a 16 seed to beat a one seed. New users get up to $1,000 back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel has odds on all the action. With games day and night, an easy-to-use app, multiple deposits and fast withdrawals, and promotions that are always on, your next chance to win with FanDuel is only minutes away. Now, this tournament, I really liked Michigan before Isaiah Livers got hurt. So my sneaky team that I really like, the Texas Longhorns. Look out for the Texas Longhorns. If that's not enough, FanDuel wants to make you a millionaire. Yes, that's right, you. They're giving away $1 million to one lucky better. New and existing users get an additional shot at the payout every day you bet the turn. So if you want a shot at becoming a millionaire or even a thousandaire, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Just use promo code LP3 so they know I sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code LP3. All right, Rob. So as anybody who follows me on Twitter in the last 24 hours saw, I was on the wrong side of Damian Lillard's 17-point comeback versus the New Orleans Pelicans on Tuesday night where Damian Lillard attempted, for what I can only imagine, it feels like the first time in his career, a game, a game-winning two-point attempt. It's, you know, he's always taking these shots from the logo. He turned on, he went from logo Lillard to on the line Lillard. So the Blazers win by one. I lose my bet, but the Blazers win. But Rob, CJ McCollum is back. Joseph Nurkic is expected to be back in the next 10 to 14 days. Portland is currently sitting in the, in the, uh, in the sixth spot tied with Denver, right? So they're, they're right there. They're two games back from uh, the, the, they're two games back from the Clippers who are in the four spot. Is Portland going to make a second-half push? Well, I mean, they, their team is going to be whole again, and, and sure they will. I mean, we know where they were a year ago. For them to be – I watched that first half of the game, and the Pelicans had their way. They were knocking down threes from everywhere. And to give up a 43-point fourth quarter, you know, um, says a lot for them, for Portland to come back and be able to get that victory. So they're still a good team. They weren't uh, whole, so they weren't playing that great. Uh, but they hadn't fallen out of it. And now look where they are. I expect them to make a, a push. 
I still don't expect them to get in the, into within the top four. I still believe that the Lakers and uh, the Clippers and, uh, you know, you got Utah, uh, those three, and, of course, the Suns are up there now. But I think it'll be hard for them to get to in the top four. But they will definitely be right below that, maybe in the five spot. See, th- when I made that bet, I made a bet with Chris Broussard that the Jazz were going to fall to the five spot. This Portland team is the team that I'm banking on. You look at it, the only time they've ever really been bad is when they're hurt. They're always competing. They're always in the, they're always in the second or third or second round of the playoffs. They went to, and I know that they went to the Western Conference Finals after a bunch of injuries and stuff, but they were still there. And they got like, swept. And they got swept, man. Don't, don't talk about the only time they're bad is due to injuries. That, that's not true. I'm not. I'm saying that Damian Lillard consistently is a top player in this league. And if he had a consistent, healthy roster around him, I'd love to see what would happen. And I think that hopefully we can see that C.J. McCollum and Nurkis can come back and be consistent and be healthy throughout this last couple stretches. Because I expect – I just think that we're going to see the cream rise to the top for this next couple weeks. I'll bet you some uh, some lemon pepper wings. There's no way that uh, Utah – going to be in the fifth spot. Not, not I'm not late. doubling down on the bet. I'm already on national radio on your show for $200. I'm not if doubling down already, again. No. You're already in. You're already in. So, exactly. why you so I'm not going to do it again. I'm already in. I'm already, you, you had your shot. You had your shot at the action. You did not choose to bite the apple at the moment. I was talking to you and Chris Broussard at that moment in time. But I will say, I will say, I do think that poor, I the thing about the thing about the Portland Trailblazers, they have a dynamic and unique shot maker and shot taker in Dame Lillard. And when you got a guy like that, there's only a few guys like that who are just they when when it gets down to four minutes, you just expect them to make shots. There's only a few guys now, like that now, in the league. I've also seen some bad moments from him in some big games too. So I, I hear you, and he's an unbelievable player. But he it, the reason that their team, I've seen bad game sevens from him. Uh, they won a playoff series, even though he didn't play well in the game seven. Uh, and, and you know, it's all about teammates as well. I like Portland. I just don't think Utah's falling to the fifth spot. Well, all right. Well, speaking of bad game sevens, how about this? All right, because the, the, your boy, I know you guys were really heavy on him last year, Kawhi and the Clippers. They, what's the deal? The last, they've been inconsistent in their last, what, 11 or so games. They've been up and down. They still don't seem to be able to close games. They, they they lost to the Pelicans. I mean, see what the, they the did. Pelicans team that just gave up a 40-point fourth quarter to, 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 to Damian Lillard, who apparently doesn't have super big moments in the fourth quarter to you. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, though, like, what's going on with the Clippers? Because I thought this was Doc Rivers' fault. I don't, I don't even know what, when you say that. I mean, I don't expect them. They're right where they're in the thick of it. How, are, how many games are they out of, out of uh, the, the top spot? They're not like – they're in the top four, which is all you need to be, and they're not going to win. Yes. Have they had some bumps along the road? Yes. But they started off the season great. They were playing well. This is their little lull, and they bounced back from that Pelicans game with a very impressive game against Dallas. So I'm not – to sit here and act like something's wrong with them. They're not the sixth seed or the seventh seed coming off of what happened a year ago. And, and I love that Kawhi is playing more. He played a. He's playing more back to backs. He played forty minutes in a back to back game. I mean, he even talked about the inconsistency. Yes, they have some issues. Yes, they're not perfect. 
But but don't don't kid yourself. They're right where they're supposed to be. No one would have picked the Suns and and Utah what they're doing this year. I'm talking about for them to be at the top of of the Western Conference. But but they're right there with the Lakers. They're only a game or so uh, behind them. So I don't I don't look at them as I, I'm I'm amazed that they haven't totally fallen apart considering the way they choked last year. I mean, they're four and six in their last ten. I mean, and, and at the end of the day, they do have two what all NBA players in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But like the idea behind totally falling apart and being the four seed, that that's fine. But they assembled this team to win a championship. That's why you make all these types of trades. I, sitting here right now, do you feel like the Clippers are, are a legitimate championship contender? I think the Clippers could beat the Lakers if they were healthy and they played. And, and, and obviously they can't play as poorly as they played in game seven against Denver. But if they play the way that they're capable to defend, I like them. I, I really do. I, I like the roster. I like what they did this year. So I'm not, I'm not, I know they're under the radar because of all the expectations. But we've seen this before. When LeBron went down to Miami with the big three, they didn't win the first year. They lost to a way inferior uh, Dallas team, and then they came back and won back-to-back championships. So it was their first year. It didn't work out, but I'm not burying them. They still are playing well. I mean, it's a bump. I just tell you, that team to me, I'm cons- if, if I'm selling Clipper stock, honestly. I'm concerned because unless, unless they get like a Kyle Lowry – or a, like a ball, like a, a point guard who can come and set up Kawhi. I don't, I just don't see it. I, I don't think they have enough dynamic ball handlers. Like the same thing I like about Portland is the exact opposite that I don't like about the Clippers. Right, the Clippers guards to me, just Patrick Beverly, I think is 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 massively overrated. Honestly, at this point, and I think like when Kevin Durant was like, it's Patrick Beverly. I can do whatever the hell I want against him. Uh, people were like. Well, how could you talk about yourself as one of the best defenders in the league? I think Patrick Beverly is a lot of uh, a lot of hype, honestly. And when it comes down I, to I sit- the way he plays, he's like a junkyard dog. I mean, he's not the most skilled or the best player, but you need guys like that. He goes with that unit. He goes with that team. I don't have a problem. I agree. You you want a guy like that, but I think you want a guy like that running twenty minutes, not necessarily you know, like running like significant like. You see Marcus Smart when he came back from Boston, it's kind of the gift and the curse. Like these guys, sometimes offensively, they will put they will sink you. So I'm just it concerns me with Patrick Beverly, a guy who is not like a knockdown three point shooter, a guy who's not necessarily spacing the floor. I think if they can upgrade that point guard position, they'll be a lot better. But without that, I don't see them coming out of the way. All right. All right. Finally, the prohibitive favorites, although the Utah Jazz are sitting atop the Western Conference. Everybody's pretty much thinking that the Lakers and the Nets are probably the teams that we're going to see in the finals. I don't see more that. Or less. I don't. Who see you it. got? I'm telling you, I got the Clippers and Nets. I don't. I don't. Okay. Without, without well, Anthony Davis, and especially, we don't even know when he's coming back. Well, that's the whole point. Hold on a second. Let me get. Let me get to the question that I'm about to ask you because these teams are very. They may not be Rob Parker's prohibitive favorites, but a lot of people like the Lakers and the Nets to both be in the finals. However. Both of them are missing a massively key piece with the Lakers missing Anthony Davis for the majority of this season. And Kevin Durant's been in and out of the lineup for the Nets for the majority of this season. Which of these two teams, and it sounds like your answer is going to be the Lakers, needs to get their piece back faster? It has to be Anthony Davis. The Nets have, have won 13 out of 14 basically without Kevin Durant. I mean, they have they still have two stars 
in Kyrie, who's balling, and uh, also um, in, in James Harden. So they don't seem to even be missing him. Imagine when you add that piece. To win 13 out of 14 in the way that they've done it has been so darn impressive. It's, it's just incredible. I don't know when he comes back and Durant is healthy, will they lose a game at all? I don't I don't even know. Sure, I guess it could be a bad I'm sure they'll lose a game. <laughs> Huh? I said, I'm sure they'll lose a game when the three of them are all well, together. I mean, but it, it looks very, very difficult because of the way. And they, and they have so many players. But the, the Lakers need AD. Without AD, there's no, they have no shot. I still think the Nets could make it to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals and maybe even the, the finals, even if Kevin Durant wasn't 100% or came back. That's the difference. Kyrie and, and James Harden play well together. We, we've seen it. I think that they could play well together. Uh, but I don't think LeBron has enough if there's no AD. I agree. I don't think LeBron has enough without Anthony Davis. However, if we're looking at just at the timeline, I think as long as Anthony Davis is held, like I, I will say this, the most recent injury news was like, whoa, we're right on the border of when this is starting to be like DEFCON red level, you know, sound the alarms, Anthony Davis and the Lakers are done, right? Um, but – with Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and James Harden, you have it's, – it's such an interesting dynamic between the three of them. And it makes me feel that you need Kevin Durant to get back there sooner while the games don't necessarily matter as much so they can figure out some of the things that need to be figured out when the games do matter. I'm thinking back now to, like, in the bubble when the Lakers were playing um, – when, the, when the, the LeBron set uh, – when LeBron set the screen, didn't run anywhere – for Anthony Davis to come around and shoot the three. They had practiced that in two other late-game situations before they busted it out in the Western Conference Finals. These are the things that I worry about because you know James Harden, you know, what's his story? He's been a regular season MVP, right? I mean, James Harden has more second-place MVPs than I think than anybody else in NBA history. You can't look at the way he's playing here facilitating. I mean, it's a totally different James Harden from that guy. Who was dribble, 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 shoot? It's not but that guy. The thing is, I think it's a different Kevin Durant than it has been in other situations. All right, so you have Kevin Durant, who you know, all all intents and purposes, was the deferential in Oklahoma City to the point that he wanted to leave because Russell Westbrook was running the show. Then you have Kevin Durant who goes to Golden State, and you see the underlying current thing the entire time is that he's not happy because it's still Steph's team. This was supposed to be KD's show. He won MVPs in the finals. It was his team when he was there. Well, you see, he's not there anymore. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, Kevin Durant, obviously, Kevin Durant didn't – Kevin Durant never felt like he got the credit he deserved in Golden State, and that's part of the reason why he's in Brooklyn right now. But so, like, for him now to be going and, like, for them to have this much success without him, you you know what it feels like to me? It feels like starting quarterback, backup quarterback syndrome, where, like, the starting quarterback gets hurt in week 10 of a good team, and then the backup goes and wins two or three playoff games. And now everybody's like, do we have a controversy here? Who's the leader of the team? Because right now, all I see is James Harden getting MVP talk, not Kevin Durant. Yeah, well, he's not playing, but I don't think, I think Kevin Durant can easily ease his way back in. He doesn't need the ball, doesn't need to overshoot. He's not that kind of player. And the other, the other missing part you're not even mentioning is Kyrie's playing his best basketball. I mean, he probably has finally matured. I mean, he's playing great. Uh, I, I just he he's been he. When I think about how well he played with LeBron, this is better. This is the best Kyrie I've ever seen, and considering where he's come from, where he took the sabbatical from the team, people were calling for him to retire. 
that he didn't want to play anymore. And all he's done is ball out, and the Nets have been almost unstoppable. No, and I'm, I remember being on the radio with you talking about it. And I was like, as long as Kyrie can, you know, as long as Kyrie and the team align, right? Because Kyrie's the guy saying that, you know, maybe the Nets don't need a head coach. But when you see Kyrie on the court, he's smiling and he's having a good time. And I think as long as that persists, the Nets are in good shape. I just think with a guy like Kyrie, you, as long as that persists, is a valid thing that is a valid qualifier for his move. All right. So. As you know, it's time for me to demolish you again in another pick segment here. And so we'll start with the Minnesota Timberwolves getting 10 and a half points, traveling to Talking Stick Arena in Phoenix. Um, what you got there? I, I'm going to take uh, the Suns minus 10 and a half. I know it's a lot of points in the NBA, but, you know, the Timberwolves are, are, are reeling and they've lost seven straight, 11 of their 12. Meanwhile, you know, the Suns, let me tell you about the Suns. They are as good as anyone when it comes to covering the spread. You know that? A I do know that. Everybody I'm, I'm, except for Utah. That's how good they are. Uh, more like 66%. They cover the spread. Even with a 10 and a half point, Minnesota's terrible. I'm taking them. I would, def, I'm, I would take them on the money line, minus 550, and I'll take them in this game minus 10 and a half to blow out Minnesota at home. I think the money line's a no-brainer, obviously. But so the Suns, when they win, they cover. I found this stat like maybe three weeks or maybe three or four games ago, and I've been riding it since. And it just feels like it's going to run out of gas because there's something like ridiculous, like 26 and 12 against the spread. Their record is 26 and 12. If they win, they cover. If they lose, they don't. I think that I think tomorrow night is going to be the night that they win and do not cover. Some of these trends, and and maybe this is stupid, I don't know, but some of these trends just have to they have to stop. Like the Jazz can't cover every single every single game. The Pelicans can't go over every single game. The Suns are not going to win every single game they cover. Vegas has to adjust at some point in time, and I the perfect sense would make to adjust against the Timberwolves, who are literally absent the Houston Rockets. The worst team in basketball. All right. Then from there, Rob, we'll go a rematch of just Tuesday night's game happening again on Thursday night. A rematch of the New Orleans Pelicans uh, at the Portland Trailblazers. The Pelicans are one-point underdogs. What say you? I'm going to take Portland. I know they just they, they had a monster comeback. Uh, so, so Portland minus one. Uh, in this game, I, I know you, you look at it and you just go, you know, they spend all this energy and whatnot. I just I just think they're a better team. There's something that I don't like about New Orleans. And this is basically a pick em game So I, because it's just one point. And I'm going to take Portland at home. And how can they not feel like they can't win and do whatever they want when you just talked about the comeback they had coming back from 17 points with five minutes to go against this team. And they had a 43-point fourth quarter. I'm, I'm loving Portland. I'm all over this. I would, if I had college kids, I would bet their college uh, money from their um, bank account. I would bet on this game. I gamble responsibly. However, I will responsibly be gambling on the Portland Trailblazers on Thursday. Because I watched that, I watched that game from dribble, from first dribble, 12 minutes on the clock, first quarter, to no time left in the fourth. 
and like the the most ridiculous things were happening for the Pelicans to get up to that big lead. Like, first of all, we know that neither one of these teams is going to play any defense. But what we don't know is that some guy named Nikhil Alexander Walker, who I know who he is, but Rob, but have you heard of him? No, I can't remember. Exactly. Thank you. I'm not even mad about it. I mean, how many three-name guys are in the NBA in general, right? You know, but in any way, this guy had he was like six for six for three. And finally, I mean, had the turnover that gave Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers the opportunity to even win the game. But I'm just gonna go ahead and bank that this 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 random reserve player is not going to have 18 points off the bench going six for six from three, which probably had a major contribution to the point that the Pelicans had a 20 point first half. You know what I'm saying? A 20-point lead at points at this game? Oh, they were unbelievable. I watched that, that game as well, the first half. I thought it was a whitewash. They were knocking down shots from all over the court. It was incredible to watch. So give me the Blazers. Give me the one. And and I think C.J. McCollum is rounding back into form. He'll be better. He was shooting 44% from three before he got hurt, Rob. C.J. was. If he can come back and just, you know, hit me, hit me with a nice little 38-40, and we're good to go. And from there, Rob... My personal marquee game of the night, because anybody who sees my picks in the Weiss Advice knows I love me a spot to bet on the mellow ball. The Charlotte Hornets are eight-point underdogs versus the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are the home team. And earlier today, or earlier yesterday, just fun fact, LaMelo Ball asked, are you concerned about going to play LeBron James? Excited? How do you feel about it? He said, no, I'm not worried about it at all. He says his basketball role models were Kobe and his dad, not the king. So with that, LaMelo Ball ain't scared, Rob. Are you scared to bet on the Hornets? Yeah, I'm scared to bet on the Hornets. I'll still take the Lakers at home. Even without Anthony Davis, uh, they can win by eight points. LaMelo Ball can do his thing, and they still can come up short. I mean, they're, they're just 19 and 18 and, 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 and not that great. You know, they, they have a better record, obviously, at home, 11 and 8, and they're not that great of a road team. So I'm not buying into – uh, that they can't go to uh, the Lakers and lose by 10. Uh, it might be a close game, but all it, all it takes is for them to be down by seven or eight and, and the Lakers score a late basket to give you that cushion that you need. I'm going to take the Lakers minus eight. I'm not there on the Hornets. I like what the Mellow Ball's done so far. He's had, he's had a breakout year, led, led all rookies in almost every category at the All-Star break. That hadn't happened since Moby Dick was a guppy, but I'm – Going to bet my money with the Lakers. It pains me to say it hurts my soul, but I got to go with the Lake Show. I just what? Well, you just you just told me that you're all about Lamelo Ball. I am all about Lamelo. I am all about Lamelo. I am all about Lamelo. But you know what the thing is, LeBron James and this Lakers team. I feel like this is what's going to happen. I feel like we're going to see this story play out so many times over the next over the second half of the season. You saw it just last night with Minnesota. And the Lakers. It's going to be a close game in the fourth quarter, about seven minutes left. And then, boom, LeBron just put on the gas, over with, just get these guys out of here because so, we can't afford to slip in the standings. But it's this whole, like, figuring out period. Let's get Montrez Harrell going. And it's like, this is a scary part about LeBron teams because, like, earlier, like, in December, you could be like, all right, well, LeBron's going to do his thing. But his thing doesn't look as impactful as it does, like, right now. He's going to be doing – he's going to be really impacting games and playing in such a way that I just – it's going to have – eight is way too big of a number for me to be like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I, you know, it's, it's – it's, it's, 
the Lakers are going to be a really tough spot for me again for the next second half of the season, just in general. So I'm going to go with the Lake Show. I don't blame you, man. You're just following my picks. That's okay. It is the Lemon Pepper Parlay Podcast. Rob Parker, Martin Weiss. Make sure you uh, tell your friends about us. Uh, subscribe, like us, give a comment, all that good stuff. Martin, maybe we'll make some shekels for people out there this this week on the podcast. And you know what? Just just because you said all I do is follow your picks, this is what I'm doing right here, right now. Minnesota Timberwolves plus ten and a half. Anthony Edwards over points for my lemon pepper parlay of the week. And I'm going to go with, I'm taking the Suns minus 10 and a half. I know it's a big number. They blow out Minnesota in the Valley of the Suns. And I'm taking Portland minus one. That's an easy bet there. I really believe they'll win. That is my lemon pepper parlay podcast. Until next week. Peace. Love.